This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Bacon Sale. You're waiting for a podcast. A podcast that will take you far away. You know where you hope the podcast will take you, but you can't know for sure. Yet it doesn't matter. Now, tell me why. Tell me why, Kent. So confused. Because Because we're Bacon Sale. (laughs) Jeez. How many different references was there? We're in there. That was <laughs> At a least lot. two. <laughs> yeah. Let's go for something there. Hi. Uh, uh, welcome to Bacon Cell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And I'm Zach. Good job, Joel. Thank you. And yeah. we'd like to thank you for listening to our last show, our Podlywed game show. It was so much fun. <laughs> uh, it was very self-indulgent. It was, but at the same time, we do. We know we know it's self-indulgent. Every now and then we like to talk about ourselves because we, we just talk about movies all the time. Other but people like it too, right? Um, my, my hat's off to Zach for coming up with the questions, listener for answering them, and Kent for putting it together because it, it was like two hours raw. With commercials too. And then we added commercials and everything. Kent <laughs> cut it down to a nice tight uh, 90 minutes, so thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate that. Poor Uncle Tony. Poor Uncle Tony. <laughs> Always. He tried to get so many different sponsors in there and it just didn't work. So thank you for listening to that. Uh, in fact, Zach, I believe we got some feedback on that as well, right? We did. Um, Aubrey Larson on Instagram says, loved the episode and loved the commercials. Sign me up for the cruise. I know. Good work, Joel. Does it not sound Don't like the best cruise? Don't say I know. You came up with it the idea. It would be the best cruise ever. I think everyone just wants to put their kids on another boat. <laughs> yeah. It's half booked by Joel's kids. It though. is. Yeah. Yeah. Then Ryan Farron on Twitter says, I really enjoyed today's episodes. Loved the Kent Point trailer. It did explain how we ended up on the darkest timeline. I really hope the Snyder Cut turns out to be worth all the chaos. <laughs> it probably Kent. won't be. I'm really sorry. Uh, also, guys, we got a new patron. Yay! Yay! New patron! Yay! Just known as Babs. <laughs> it's like, I had to say that way. Babs. Babs. It's like Screen Junkies. Abs. Yeah. She Babs. probably deserves the single title way more than Zendaya. Yeah, that's true. She does not deserve that. But guess what? I thought the same thing. Why does she get that? Babs does that. Guys, Babs is I am the listener category. I am the listener. Wow. And on Patreon, she says, I just want to be on the Gilmore Girls episode. Stop it. Stop it. Make it happen. Oh, no. Babs. Make it happen. But welcome, Babs. (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? Joel, it wouldn't be right for me to tell you. Uh, Kent, will you let us know what we're talking about? Um, we thank you, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> no. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I got my shrine right here, guys. So if you've ever listened to an episode of Bake Cell, doesn't matter. Ever? Throw a dart. Pick any episode. Kent will talk about his love for Christopher Nolan. The Winter Nolan. Show. Kent talked about his love for Christopher Nolan. <laughs> it's probably true. The Mom Show. Kent talked about his love for Christopher Nolan. It's true. And so, uh, Kent, this is a show that's been a long time coming, and yet... Christopher Nolan has only released two movies since we started Bacon Cell. Yeah, what the heck, Christopher Nolan? And so he just released Tenet, yes. which we did a bacon bit on. Meant to come out in July, yep. which just barely did. Joel, quality takes time. That's why it we does. do Bacon Cell every I'm week. not complaining. I just thought it was so weird that we talk about Christopher Nolan so much, and yet only two of his movies, one of them just barely got released. So technically, before that, only one movie, one new Christopher Nolan movie had been released. Yeah, it's only like every three years for him, because generally he writes, directs, produces everything i think yeah. he stars in most of them too oh, has he, no he does in tarantino yeah. that too yeah so uh we have uh watched all of christopher nolan's movies many times all 11 of them mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to talk about them today we're not just talk about them we're going to rank them yes but we'll get to that but I'm first gonna, let's i'm going to make you choose let's talk about christopher nolan in general oh if you don't okay, know here who he is I'd like to bear my testimony. No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher so, Nolan. I mean, I could go on. Christopher Nolan. If and and Kent may you, you may see Kent's bias showing during this episode. Is it that obvious? Yes. 
even though you did kill him in one episode to save me, and thank you for that. <sighs> Still regret it. But Christopher Nolan is, and I'll say this too, possibly the best director currently working in Hollywood. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the, it's like, like I'm on the po- attack I, already. I put possibly yeah. on there. Uh, his Denis Villeneuve his like directorial efforts have grossed more than $4.7 billion in theaters worldwide. And he has, his movies have garnered 34 Oscar nominations and 10 wins for his movies. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan himself has never won an Oscar. He's been nominated for five Academy Awards uh, for Best Director, Best Picture for Dunkirk, Best Picture for Inception, and Best Original Screenplay for both Inception and Memento. Hasn't won any of those. Yeah, a lot of technical achievements. Yeah. Like but, sound yeah. editing for Dunkirk. But oh, it, yeah. It Dun- is weird how the best directors in the world rarely get that best director. It's the same thing. We did, we did a whole show on Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Same boat, where right. the, the Academy largely ignored Hitchcock, except for they gave him a best picture for Rebecca. Yeah. Spielberg. Has, one. You know, well, Spielberg eventually, he, he did win eventually. I, it took a, took a tone change to get there. Yeah. It did, for sure. And here's what Nolan does, and maybe why the Academy doesn't like him. He makes blockbusters. But he doesn't make blockbusters, though. He makes heady blockbusters. He makes he makes yes. smart movies that happen to feel like blockbusters. Yeah. Well, they have all the excess of blockbusters with a brain. Yeah. And so it, it's just fascinating to me. Like like Zach said, he wins his movies have won ten awards for Academy Awards for mm-hmm. like Dark Knight won two for like sound editing and and uh, well, editing acting. And Dunkirk yeah. got for visual effects and oh yeah oh that was it yeah, Dark best Knight supporting got best actor. actor. And interstellar visual effects, but like Inception visual effects, but none of them have like nothing for him. And it's so bizarre to me because you see he's a name like you put a any star in a picture and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll go see it for mm-hmm. that star. You say this movie's directed by Christopher Nolan. People are like, I'll go see that. Yeah. Well, he is an auteur. I he, mean, there's you put that stamp on anything. Yeah. It gets someone like me like salivating. He's among it. the most most bankably reliable, but he's also he's good enough that you can trust a completely unknown original story with him. Mm-hmm. Who else can you do that with besides maybe maybe Tarantino? He doesn't normally, and do, sometimes not even that. I mean, yes, yeah, he did do the the Dark Knight trilogy with mm-hmm. Batman Begins, uh, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. But most of the time, it's original stories, not part of a franchise, usually from his own head or from his brother's head. Yes. Because him and his brother co-write a lot of these screenplays Which is together. so cool. And they, my brother was Jonathan bankable. Nolan. <laughs> they're bankable. The studio can go, yeah, sure, you can do a movie about mind heists. Why not? And not, yeah. not just bankable. I think blank checkable. Yeah. Like, I think he makes a Batman movie like The Dark Knight and Warner Brothers says, and, and by the way, he's one of these directors. Disney sometimes does this where they have contracts like in back in the golden days of Hollywood where <laughs> certain studios will grab actors or directors and make them studio workers. Right. But Warner Brothers at this point will never let Christopher Nolan go because the money he makes the studio. Yeah. He's made him a lot of money. Yeah. And he really is living the dream, too, because he has a production company called uh, Syncope. Syn- Syncope. Syncopy, I'm not saying Syncopy Inc. Inc. that he he runs runs with with his his wife. wife. Yeah. So his wife and him run this company, this production company. He writes screenplays with his brother, Hmm. uh, which is funny because he has another brother named Matthew. Matthew. uh, Who apparently Jonathan's the favorite Mm -hmm. because you never hear about Matthew. Hey, there's always like the one brother in famous families that don't go anywhere. (laughs) Hold on. Zack Snyder does a lot producing with his wife. Yes. Oh my gosh, you have a type. I really do have a type. <laughs> I did Happily not married know. couples. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I did not know how closely tied Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan were until doing the research for the show. Oh, and I, I understand did. so much more. Oh, you didn't Kent, know this? Why Kent defends Batman v Superman to the death. They're bros. Yeah. And I love it. I am yeah. here for it. But let's start a little bit earlier, shall we? 
back in his history. So he was born, born in 1970 yes, in Westminster, London. Uh, his father was an ad executive. His mother was an English teacher. And flight attendant. Flight attendant. He spent his childhood between London and Illinois. So he has both U.S. and British citizenship. Which... I, for the longest time, thought he was just an American director. Oh, you did? I never saw him in interviews. I just saw his movies, and they're always these big, no, big American type movies. No, you see him in a suit, movies. and it just screams British properness. It kind of does. When you hear him speak, and you're like, oh, yeah, totally British. Right. But when he was seven, he, uh, he's always been obsessed with film. But much like us, we've talked about this on the show, he would make home movies all the time. So he made a tribute to Star Wars, which he loved, a big influence on him. And he called it Space Wars. And he had a Super 8 camera and Star Wars action figures. So he made his own movies. He knew he wanted to be a filmmaker at age 11, which I feel like we all kind of did. But yeah. then our paths went a little differently than Christopher Nolan. Well, so one of my one of my uh, things that I really related to Christopher Nolan on is that his degree. Yes. Right? Well, because he was he, had a, he got a degree in English literature in 1993. But he said he got into English literature instead of film, even though he had a passion for film, because he says, I thought that would give me a much more rounded perspective on things. And when I was actually applying, I was applying to be a film major at, mm-hmm. at BYU. And I had a very wise professor say, don't apply for a film major. He says, filmmakers don't care about your degree. They care about your experience. So get a degree in something bankable, something you can get a job with, and then do filmmaking as your passion. I love that. And it worked out okay because, I mean, it worked out fine because I ended up falling back on my degree where I do a lot of writing now. And if I had a film degree, uh, can't get as many jobs as that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't make many films with that, especially right now. And it seems like that's what he did intentionally. He never wanted to be an industry guy. And he knew like the British Film Institute, you had to be in the club to Mm -hmm. get money from them. He said he got no help from them. So he just worked odd jobs in like independent films and got field experience that way instead of college. Mm -hmm. And also with his English literature degree, started writing everything. Yeah. And so those two combined really did create what we know now. And that's what, that's one of the things I really like about him is the fact that he does a lot of his own writing. Like mm-hmm. maybe six is the writer in me. Uh, I majored in, in screenwriting or excuse me, minored in screenwriting. I didn't major in screenwriting. Uh, but he writes a lot of his own stuff with his brother. They co-write yep. together and he'll throw in English uh, literature references and kind of just poetry and science. Like he's throwing in all these kind of high level, high minded stuff in these movies with giant explosions, which you don't normally see. That's why when people ask me, like, if you had to eat lunch with a celebrity, who would it be? Besides Joel. Besides Joel, because I killed Christopher Nolan for him, apparently. I always say Christopher Nolan because I'd like to pick his brain. I just think this guy thinks on a different level. It might actually be a little annoying to be close to him. I wonder if, like, family reunions are a bit annoying because he's a little bit too (laughs) maybe elitist. You mean the guy that constantly walks around in a suit is elitist? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he actually has two suits, one for the warmth and one one for cold weather conditions uh, on his sets. And that's just so he doesn't have to, like, wake up every day and think about it. It. In fact, his life is actually really simplistic. He doesn't have email nope. or a cell phone. And he says he's not like a technophobe. It's not like he's against it. He just never really saw the reason. He said, I grew up in the 90s when they weren't really around. And so I never got well, into it. And he actually, this is probably true of all of us. He says, when you have a smartphone and you have 10 minutes to spare, you go on it and you start looking at stuff and time goes wasted. Right. And it's true. Like, if I have 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm going to play Candy Crush or whatever. Mm-hmm. Instead, I could be writing the next Inception. Yeah. Let's get rid of our cell phones, guys. No, but <laughs> you bring up a good point, too, when you mentioned time. Because a thing, one, one consistent theme in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies is the relativity of time. Yeah. Where he will play with it, either just through jump cuts of merging different stories together or by literally non-linear. splicing the film in a nonlinear story. Right. Just the way he tells things, time and Christopher Nolan have a very unique relationship. Yes. 
And it's fun to watch that on the screen. And it's not just that. There's also memory is involved, unreliable memory Mm -hmm. and reality and identity as well. Dead spouses a lot of time, too. A lot of the time. Yep. It's Uh, kind kind of of a Nolan trope. Disney and dead dads. And so pull it back a bit. So he did a couple short films. Doodlebug is one of them that we're, you can actually yeah. find Tarantella, online. Larceny, you cannot find those two. Yeah, we can find he Doodlebug. He made those with his wife, but Doodlebug is two and a half minutes long. And then he decided to make a movie called Following. And we can get into uh, this later on, but I just want to kind of bring it up as this was him filming on a shoestring budget mm-hmm. over the course of a $6, year. $6,000. $6,000 over a course of a year. And he would just do it on a weekend. They'd rehearse something, film it, and then next weekend rehearse something, film it. Like mm-hmm. like you would do with your buddies where you're like, we don't have a budget. Let's make a black and white movie. Let's make a black and white movie. It'll be a lot easier. They don't have like professional lights. They just use natural lighting. But it got attention. Yes. And then he said, okay, he got a little, he got some attention. He said, I'm going to make a bigger movie. So he made Memento, which blew people away at yeah. film festivals. What a movie. Then Steven Soderbergh recruited Nolan to direct the psychological thriller Insomnia in 2002. So, Kent, you can thank Ocean's Eleven and Twelve and Thirteen for Christopher Nolan. Don't do that. Don't put that poison there. <laughs> and then after Insomnia, Christopher Nolan was going to do a Howard Hughes biography starring Jim Carrey. Yeah, I read that. And he said it was, quote, the best script I've ever written. But they learned Martin Scorsese was doing The Aviator, which was about Howard Hughes. And so, he went, eh, never mind. Do you think he'll ever make it? Or do you think it's just pointless now? I don't know. I mean, if it's the his, best script he's ever his written. His wife, Emma Thomas, says that he'll never make a minimalist story again. I always get Emma Thomas mixed up with Emma Thompson, by the way. I keep picturing yeah. these two British people married, but it's not. It's not Emma Thompson. It's Emma Thompson. Yeah, which is crazy because he started with just those character pieces. Very minimal, dialogue important. And now they're huge action movies where dialogue is much less important. Yes. But I also wanted to bring up that in 2013, Nolan is the one who approached Warner Brothers and said, I'd like to make a realistic Batman film. And oh, 2003. Like, 2003. Yeah. And they said... Okay, let's give that a shot. And we all know how that turned out with the Dark Knight trilogy. Then he's also the one who pitched the idea for Man of Steel to Warner Brothers. After the success of Batman, he was like, I want to do a little Superman movie. And they hired (laughs) Nolan to produce and Zack Snyder to direct. It all comes together. Tenet. You think I didn't know this? I I didn't. right now. But what I'm saying is it makes sense why you're so defensive of Man of Steel. It's not defensive. I know the truth. I bore my testimony of the greatness of his projects. Yeah. Which we're going to get into so much he more. He said, and Chris Nolan said that the Man of Steel was almost as good as the Christopher Reeve version. He did not say that. <laughs> he stopped that. He did say he actually thought it had the same potential to excite audiences as him, as when he himself saw Christopher Reeve version in 1978. He has a love for the original Superman movies. And it's even better. Who knew it would exceed it? It's <laughs> amazing. Then he worked alongside uh, Zack Snyder on Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League. Just producer. Yeah, but it, he, he kind of dropped off after Man of Steel. He did, but at the same time, it just makes so much sense why Kent. I suddenly understand why Kent loves. No, he these they really movies. respect each other. Anything Christopher Nolan has a fingerprint on, Kent's like, oh, I like that. What's that? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually would. He, I'd probably buy it on eBay if if I there was like Christopher it. Nolan's fingerprints. I would buy it on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> he goes out and touches like a bandaid on the ground, and Kent's like, "That's a work of art." Yeah, I'm not wrong. I mean, there are seven. Of his movies, and there should be more, but they're in the IMDb top 250 movies of all time. Yeah. There's number four, The Dark Knight, number 13, The Inception, 30, in Interstellar, 47, Prestige, 55, Memento, 71, Dark Knight Rises, and 129, Batman Begins. So we may have a different order here, but that's seven of his 10 movies at this time of when they actually listed mm-hmm. these movies. And that's, just, that's an incredible filmography there. And they're not just blockbusters, also respected by mm-hmm. other filmmakers. Maybe not the Academy, because they're nominating him but not giving him anything. But like even Steven Spielberg referred to, when he was discuss, discussing art films and big blockbusters, he talked about the Dark Knight series, an example of both. And he also described Memento and Inception as, quote, masterworks. 
Yeah. Like this is Steven Spielberg giving props to Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Maybe handing the torch a little bit. As he should be. Yeah. Because these are the new blockbusters. These, well, granted, we have movies that make more, but these do both. They're not just for the general audiences. It's not lowest common denominator stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Every three years, we're going to get a treat that may be a little tough to chew at times, but if you think enough about it, you're going to be rewarded. One of my reviews talked about if your brain is feeling flabby, go watch this movie because it will give it a right. workout. And yeah. that's how I feel a lot of these movies are. You watch a Christopher Nolan movie, you're going to want to discuss it with people and you're going to want to watch it again. Almost every one of these are multiple viewing movies because you want to dig more out of it. Mm-hmm. They're not inaccessible, but you have to put some effort into watching them. So I was watching an interview with him and he talked about one of his common practices and he mentioned the shepherd scale. People may not know what that is, but you, you know that how many sheep they have. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and when you lose one, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go find it. But it's the tone that seems like it's getting louder and louder and louder and louder, but it's actually never changing. It seems like it's increasing the entire time. Oh, like the steps in Mario 64. That's exactly what he brought up <laughs> as well. <laughs> but he says he does that with his nonlinear story. He says it's the illusion of heightened tension and it seems to have no end, but it's really subjective. So people are watching my movies and just going, I can't take it anymore. This, this is, is going too much. Not you. Yeah, this yeah. is this is he's way more intelligent than I am. <laughs> and I just love it. And he bookends every story. Everything comes full circle. He's good it, at that. Yeah. Great and, at that. And he's good at also conveying emotion. Like Christopher Nolan movies stress me out so much, mm-hmm. but also give me so much like relief in the end. A lot, most of the time. It's just because I'm connecting to it. Like there are parts where I am really stressed out and it's because I have been completely pulled into the movie. Yes. And that's one and, of the reasons I enjoy his, his movies. And one of the main reasons I love him is why everyone loves cinema. It's escapism. And sometimes escapism is a silly comedy. And that's all it needs to be. Sometimes it's a horror movie. It's really mood driven. Right. But for me, it's the every couple of years I can see a filmmaker who cares this much about filmmaking. It's not about the Hollywood aspect. Mm-hmm. It is about what inventive idea can I create and present to an audience and challenge their minds just for a little bit. And it's just a movie. It is. But he tries. Yeah. He's putting some real effort into these. Mm-hmm. And, and Hollywood has been giving him more and more money and more and more leeway to do what he wants. Keep it going. At first it was, hey, work with this idea we're giving you. And now it's like, what do you got? Come to us. Let us know what you're thinking. And I think that's a great, that's a great sign of a good director. So Zach, we've borne our testimony. How's how's it going over there? Just listening to you gush. It's very fun. (laughs) I could keep going, but we do have a full on ranking to do, right? Are you ready to do this? We've seen all his movies, all 11. We're going to rank them. Now, we wanted to do it in a way that felt sort of Nolan-y, and that way, sort of out of time and so out of So we're going to start with three, and then go back to eight, and <laughs> not, then do one. Not that bizarre. Well, I think one of the things, and one of the staples of a Nolan movie, is there's you're following a narrator. They may be a little bit unreliable, but you are at least following one person through a story. So we have selected... Kent, to be our unreliable narrator. Wait, I'm the unreliable narrator? Yes, since you are the unabashed Nolan fanboy of Bacon Cell, even though I may like him as much as you do. Oh, his movies. I may like his movies as much as you do. Okay, movies, sure. Yeah, but... (laughs) I would would buy his suits. Yeah, I was going to say, you're outside his house trying to buy his suits. (laughs) But Ken is going to be the constant. He's going to be the Desmond, if you will. He's going to be the everyman protagonist in the movie. Well, we all know that my opinion is fact, and I would like your feedback on my correct opinion. 
No, in fact, he'll give his opinion, then Zach and I will counter. Then that's yes. kind of the point, right? So Kent is going to be ranking these 11 to 1. So worst to first. And what, as uh, I bring up a movie, these guys will be giving their rankings in their own... In our own timeline. Yeah, in, in our, our own timeline. timeline. Now, I like that. The problem is, though, is that we say worst to first, but honestly, I don't know if there's a bad movie in the bunch. Well, you guys wanted to do a tiering show, and I think it's blasphemy to say that any of his movies are tier three. There are tier twos, for sure, but there are no tier three Christopher Nolan movies, even the early student films. I would agree with that. He's one of that. He's basically hit it out of the park, or at least gotten on base every single time. He's like Pixar pre-Cars 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't make me agree with that, yeah. Joel. No, no misses yet. They've all been hits. Yeah. All right. Should we get into this thing? All right, Kent. Are you ready for this? Yes. Oh, Christopher Nolan. Let me know if you agree What's or if you have a little bit what, higher. What do you have? And, and again, this is not worst. This is just lowest on the list of Christopher Nolan movies. We're going to start with a gimme. It's following from 1999. So this is a 70-minute movie. This feels like a Hitchcock film. It probably is meant to be a Hitchcock movie, and it doesn't seem like there's much going on. I think it's the simplicity here that tricks not only the main character, but the audience as well. And Joel, can you give the synopsis? Uh, yes. A young writer who follows strangers for material meets a thief who takes him under his wing. So basically this guy, like, he, he as a hobby, he kind of just likes to follow people just, just for a little bit. Like, not, not creepily, just like, it's a fun little thing he does where he's like, I'm just going to follow this person for a bit and just see what like they're going to a like. job interview? I wonder yeah. how it goes. It's kind of like Amelie, but less French. And we. <laughs> oui. yes. Everything is, should be less French. Uh <laughs> And it's actually, this is the shortest movie he's made at mm-hmm. 69 minutes. It's the cheapest movie he's made with $6,000. And it's the lowest box office with 48000 Kent, this is my number 10. There's a movie that ranks below this. There is. And you will find out when you actually say it. Oh. Huh. But I gave, this, I gave this one a 10 because, or my 10th place, because I felt like it crammed in so many, so much character development and plot twist in a simple, almost student film. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of cool to see it unfold. And there is twist after twist that I didn't see coming. And they're small. Oh yeah, it's it, this is not a big scale movie, but it's just funny to see kind of the starting of what he was going to do to audiences down the road. This is the only of his films that he is the cinematographer for, and I'm going to bring that up. I think he was cinematography. The in his movies and score is just as important as he, the director. Mm-hmm. That, that's just it. He's not just going to point a camera at something and tell a story. He's using the camera and the sound to tell the story as mm-hmm. well. So, Zach, where'd you have this? Um, I put this at 11 as well. And I've actually given awards to every single one of these. And I gave following the It Had to Start Somewhere award, <laughs> meaning that you can really feel that this is Nolan. It feels distinctly Nolan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so you see the way that he tells a story, even very early on, is unique and in a way that's obviously goes on to be much more. But, uh, you know, as far as the movie, like, it's not my favorite. It is obviously made on the cheap, but for a first time movie on a shoestring budget, and I mean, it doesn't really get much better than this. Yeah. And this was released in 1999. Yeah. And uh, it's actually rated R for uh, language and some violence. You can find it on Van Angelo if you want to. Speaking of the Pixar universe or things that tie together, <laughs> the thief in this story, his name is Cobb. Oh, that's and right. And so is Leonardo DiCaprio's character in, in Inception. Inception. Yeah. I just want to mention this. Uh, filmmaker Joel Schumacher thought following was the work of a brilliant young director. And he says, I always had him in the back of my mind thinking, we're going to hear from this guy big time. And then he did. saw another movie on the list and the promise was fulfilled very fast. It is nice. funny too. just I was speaking. Of, I was thinking about this. His first three movies following Memento and Insomnia. All rated R. All rated R and mostly because of language. Yeah. But since then, since Batman Begins, all of his movies, PG-13. 
very little you foul know, language. You know why? Why? They were making lots of money. Well, that too. <laughs> but he also said, like with Batman Begins in particular, he mm-hmm. said, uh, and this is getting down the road when we talk about it, but he said, I wanted to make a movie that adults could enjoy, but also a kid when I was that age at 10 or 11 or 12 that I could enjoy. Yeah. He said it's a little too intense for maybe little kids, but I feel like you're the demographic for his movies. I Joel. totally am. I've called him the king of PG thirteen before yeah. because he's able to he's able to give you a, a very dramatic movie, a very adult type movie, but without treats a you lot with of, respect, meaning yeah, and there's just not a lot of uh, superfluous language or gratuitous violence or One-liners. sex or nudity yeah. or things like that. Like he really is kind of like he's he's treating the audience like adults, mm-hmm. but not pandering to. I don't know, a lot of what people put in their movies. Yeah. Right. What do you have for 10, Kent? The 10th best Christopher Nolan movie is from 2002, and it's Insomnia. Two Los Angeles homicide detectives are dispatched to a northern town where the sun doesn't set to investigate the methodical murder of a local teen. You were going to say where the sun don't shine, weren't you? <laughs> I was a little bit. <laughs> yeah. The sun don't you feel it. set. So this came out in 2002, and you give it your number 10? This is the 10th best. This is my number five. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Go on. When I watched this one for the first time, this is uh, rated R for language, some violence, brief nudity. I watched it on Clearplay DVD. When did you watch this? Like what 2009, year? 2009, I want to say. Isn't this funny how like he was such a new director, even with Memento, which I saw on video soon after it came out. Yeah. Probably 2003. And I was like, oh, this guy's really cool. What's his name? And then it took me another two years to see Insomnia. Well, see, and I saw Insomnia because I saw Robin Williams was playing a bad guy. Yeah. Did like, you see One Hour Photo as well? I did as well. Yeah. So Death to Smoochie. Two, yeah. Death to Smoochie. Same year. 2002 <laughs> was like the year Robin Williams decided to break bad because it was like he did those three movies, Death to Smoochie, One Hour Photo, and Insomnia. And it's Al Pacino. It's Robin Williams, uh, Hilary Swank. I, I enjoyed it because it was a thriller and it was like the good guys weren't really that good and the bad guys, but they were kind of reasonable at times. And it put the protagonist in this impossible situation where I was so stressed out for him mm-hmm. because he made a mistake in the past, he made a mistake in the present, and his future was looking bleak. And it was really captivating for and me. And just like the title, he couldn't sleep. Because the sun never sets and he was having sun issues. sun never shines. And it made, it made him not think clearly because he's a detective, but he couldn't think clearly. Oh, well, And then Robin it. Williams. Robin Williams is so creepy he's in so this good. movie. He's not even introduced till an hour into the movie. No, but when he comes on, it's, it's having grown up watching Robin Williams in all the silly roles... I was mesmerized by his performance. Well, it's interesting. Like you talk about Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in Heat, for example, the conversation they have, Mm -hmm. the conversation that Robin Williams and Al Pacino have in this movie. Yeah. And it should be scary, but it's just like it's a normal activity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're pursuing each other and playing this weird cat and mouse game. The reason I give this 10 is because it does feel like his paycheck movie. And it was. This was Steven Soderbergh saying, hey, yeah, it's it's a remake of a 1997 Norwegian film. Yeah. With a very, very similar plot, which the director even said of the original film said, I like the way Christopher Nolan did it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, he did write the final screen. Can you say that in Swedish? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Can you say that in Swedish? Uh, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you considered it. (laughs) But he did. I liked it. (laughs) That was Borat. 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 (laughs) Slap in the bass. (laughs) (laughs) So he did write the final screenplay, but there's another movie on here, but he didn't have much to do with the story at all. Yeah. But he did add his own spin. I do think Al Pacino doesn't feel like a very Nolan-esque actor. No. No. He no. still does great. Well, I, I also gave this 10 on my list. Mm-hmm. Of course my, you did. Get my, room, you <laughs> my award I gave it was, wait, he made this? Mm-hmm. It just, it's, it's the least Nolan-y. Well, one of the least Nolan-y on the list. Nolan-y. That's Nolan-y. So cute. Nolan-y. 
But number five then, huh, Joel? Number yeah, five. This, this made my top five because it made such an impression on me that when we were making this list, I was like, that's got to be pretty high for me. I could see why. I would say it's the most underrated of his films, even though it's lower on our list. I do feel that. And I feel like it's not an a, underrated movie. Not even an underrated Nolan movie. I feel like people just don't know this movie is no. out there. And I'm like, go give it a shot. Yeah. It's like if really you really fun. like crime thrillers, it is, it's dark. Sounds great. Yeah. It's a dark movie. And I know it's not some people's taste, but it was when so Al Pacino well gets stuck underneath the logs in Blah. the river. That's a Doesn't fear that of mine. You? Yeah. Yes, like they're doing the logging in the river and he gets under it and it's like when people are trapped in the way, ice. By the way, water is the theme in Nolan films. That Lots is. of water. Water usually means being trapped. Water like Nolan and wives. Yeah. yeah. And dead wives. Yeah. <laughs> Not together. Yeah. Hopefully. Hold on. In some movies. All right. Number nine. What do you got? This is where I hate to do this. Uh-huh. I hate to do this to any movie from now on. You're in your okay. top 10 now. Yeah. Okay. From 2017, Dunkirk. What? That low? Oh, yeah. Wow. Wait, I this love movie you, you've been Dunkirk. praising so much. It's the number one movie of 2017. You got so mad at me for saying this was like a one and done. And this is your ninth? This is the ninth best. It's my ninth too. Okay, good. There we go. <laughs> oh. Zach, what do you have it at? It's my fifth. Wow. Okay, that's that's I think it's brilliant filmmaking. It's a brilliant film. And that's why it's number nine on Chris Redone's list. I gave <laughs> it's brilliant. I gave it the award for ticking tension because yes, this is absolutely. two hours of tension in the best way. So here's the synopsis. Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. Directed by Christopher Nolan, who did Following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Exception, <laughs> okay. Dark Rises, okay. Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tenet. So normally he uses, from the very get-go, uh, cinematographer Wally Pfister. Mm-hmm. And this time he used Hoyt Van Hoytema, who also did The Revenant. And ah. he's actually he used him for Tenet as well. Okay. Uh, because Wally Pfister has become a director of his own. But this one, I mean, we've talked this one to death in our war we, film show. We did show. a whole bacon bit on this, didn't we? Yeah, of course we did. Yeah. The, the very feeling of this movie it's just you feel like you're there fighting to survive he actually said he wanted to make a vr war experience yeah. without goggles and that's exactly what he it did. does feel like that well he also said i, I one of the things i like that he said is he said he wanted to wait to make this movie until he had the trust of a british film studio with an american budget and that's what he got and the budget was 100 million and it made 527 million dollars did quite well yeah this was much higher for me when i first made my list but i actually binge watched Almost all of these just movies. This past just week, this past right? week. And Dunkirk got bu- kept getting bumped down by other movies. And this is why it's my ninth. I think technically, this is one of his best made movies. Yeah. Like you almost can't beat it. It feels so real. It won it's an- the rewatchability. Okay. It won three Academy Awards this one did for best sound editing, best sound mixing, and best film editing, which is kind of ridiculous. That's all it was. This was his first nomination for best director. Yeah. Which... Feels like a little bit too late. Yeah. Also, some fun facts I love from this one. This is the seventh time he worked with Michael Caine, Michael the fifth Caine. time for Killian Murphy, and the sixth with Hans Zimmer. You actually, Tom Hardy. You and, actually, oh, Tom Hardy. I think it's a fourth for that one. You bring up something I was going to mention as well. Uh, so Michael Caine is technically uncredited for this movie, but he does do voices. In, but in the airplane. On, yes. On, uh, so on Michael Caine Watch, this is the first one on the list that we've discussed so far that has Michael Caine involved. Michael Caine. Oh, it's Michael Caine watch. Interesting. Yes. yes. Uh, one of the other comments he made that I liked this, and I didn't really think about it until he said it, but he says uh, he was attracted to this project because it did not follow the traditional Hollywood formula of war movies because it was not a victory and it did not involve American armed forces. And so... Well, and a civilian saving soldiers. Yeah. This was, this was, a, this was a kind of an embarrassment at the time mm-hmm. because they had to run away. Run yeah. away! But, but so, it also saved... But also it's kind of a rah-rah, you know, let's all come together and help out. Right. And so that's the thing at the end. I, I did want a little more emotional payoff at the end of this one. 
Whereas, so that's actually the reason he got that feedback. So the movie was supposed to end with Tom Hardy landing the craft on the ocean. In fact, they had to do that really quick and hurry and get the plane off the beach because it was about to sink because the high tide was coming in. But then he's like, I need a little more emotion. We need to go back to the focus of the story. So they went back to Fionn Whitehead, uh, the main kid. I think his name's Tommy in the movie. Mm -hmm. And they just went back to his face kind of going, yep, I just survived that crazy time. (laughs) <laughs> well, also, I realized while watching this, because uh, I had, I was, you know, I've seen all these before. I've seen Dunkirk twice before, before watching it this week. But I had them all kind of playing in the background. This movie does not have a lot of dialogue no. at all. No, it's it's mostly just sound or character and names. Music. Really, I like it more because of that. But that's the, the problem was is I kept having to be like, wait, crap, I haven't been watching, and there's no dialogue to feed in my ears as I was doing my work. Uh, and so I kept looking up at what's going on. Okay, that's right. I love visually, a movie that makes you watch. Visually, you just have to stay alert mm. and so he does a lot of these things in in his other movies where once it gets to the climax he'll do a three-way cross cut much like the star wars movies did in like return of the jedi for example right mm-hmm. i think he was very influenced by that so he builds the tension for those moments this whole movie is a cross cut yeah it's yeah. three stories coming together bringing the same amount of tension yeah brilliant do you, do you think the fact that those three stories are moving at a different pace in time hurts this movie or helps it Hurts it for people's first watch. Yeah. Helps for second. Okay. Yeah. Once you What'd know you what's think going the on. Most recent time you, you saw this one. No. Well, once I knew what was going on, like once at the end of the first movie, the second time I watched, it, I was like, I get it now. So the third time it was still like, yep, yep, still get it. I think I was better served having known that going into my first watch. I knew that they were moving in different time, spanning different times. Yeah. And I think it really helps. Just so now, incredible. Now you know, listener. All right. Controversial. Okay, I need eight. to put it here. Just because I have no idea what's going on, it's Tenet from 2020. Wow. Number eight. Number eight. And I'm putting it here because I don't think it's mid-pack, Nolan, but it could easily be. I just have no idea what's going on right now. I also put it at number eight. This is my number 11. I had a feeling. It's because, who knows, the jury's still out, right? It's more like the jury right now is kind of in an uproar in the back room. Just like, no, this isn't good. No, it's too confusing. And the other part's like, no, it actually will make sense the next time you see it. But that's it just kind of landed at the end there because I'm like, it's my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie right now. OK, but behind it, behind following, following even because well, following was a surprise. Yeah, I had more anticipation going into Tenet. And so I was kind of like, well, hmm. that's that's but it's still good. Yeah, it's well, not a bad movie. But I think you end up with low expectations for following and then high expectations. Well, in our bacon bit, Zach, you said indulgent. Joel, you said ambitious. I said challenging. All those we said words. some other words, too. <laughs> yeah, just that's it. It was a very short bacon bit. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Go check it out. But and we, we talked this movie to death. It just gives you so much to chew on that I'm still chewing and it could drop. Yeah, it could go below Dunkirk because I think Dunkirk is technically better but this movie... Let me give a synopsis real quick. I cannot wait to see it again. So a secret agent embarks on a dangerous time-bending mission to prevent the start of World War III. That's all Oh, that's a very short one. Yes, that's a good one. Like, we're not going to give any spoilers here because obviously this is a brand new movie out right now, but... If you've seen the trailer, things go backwards sometimes. Yeah. I gave it the that, award. That was actually the tagline. <laughs> things go, things backwards go backwards sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> I gave it the award subtitles, please. <laughs> and and it, when that happens... Yeah, it'll be so It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and uh, yes, Michael Caine is in this. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. What do you have next, Kent? All right, number seven. I can think I can guess. This is another very have you guys controversial. On all of them right now. Uh, so far? Only one. Have we not? Super controversy right here because many people would put this near the bottom, but from 2012, it's The Dark Knight Rises. So eight years after the Joker's reign of anarchy, Batman, with the help of the enigmatic Catwoman, is forced from his exile to save Gotham City from the brutal guerrilla terrorist Bane. Pasa. 
pasa, que, que, pasa, pasa, que, que, pasa, I was pasa. born somewhere in two hours and 44 minutes. And this was directed <laughs> by Christopher Nolan, who directed Following Memento Insomnia, <laughs> Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight Inception, Dark Knight Rises, and Sarah Dunkirk and Tenet. Written by Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. So this is the wrap-up of the trilogy. And there are very few directors that have actually filmed a superhero trilogy. Sam Raimi and Christopher Nolan, really. And we all know how Sam Raimi's turned out with Spider-Man 3. <laughs> But but no, Chris oh. Nolan, he was able to pull this together. This is my number six, so barely above you. Now, why is it almost a top fiver for you? Just watching it again, I was like, you know, as much as I mock this movie, there's a lot of good things in here. Zach, I feel like this should get the ages better as it goes award. I give it the, I guess I got to finish this. Oh, come <laughs> on. Actually, Nolan felt the same way. He did. He didn't want to. Because, well, he actually made Warner Brothers promise that they'd give him money if they gave him money to make Inception. So and they I'll did. make you a one more Batman movie. And by the I way, make. Inception made a lot of money. So oh, yeah. it was a good investment there. This movie, by the way, his highest budget at $300 million and the highest grossing at $1.08 billion. At, which is interesting, too, because of the real life events surrounding it. It, it potentially could have made more money. Yeah. So I do think this movie ages better the worse the world gets. Like, <laughs> honestly... Watching it right now, I was like, wow, that feels relevant. Bane started a quarantine and wore a mask before it was cool. Yeah, and like cities under duress. Yeah. And there's just trouble everywhere. Also, I think it brings the trilogy full circle. The Batman movies, other than Batman Begins, which kind of has a nonlinear storytelling method, Mm -hmm. they're pretty straightforward. Yeah. But even then, there's intercutting scenes happening at the same time. Especially like The Dark Knight, when we talk about that one, there's multiple scenes that are all yes. coming together at the same time. But I think what this has the same type I of think thing. what this does is it makes Batman Begins a even better movie, which is great. Maybe well, not as much for Dark Knight Rises. It's a solid trilogy. Maybe one of the few solid trilogies out there. I think people were disappointed because of the hype they created after Dark Knight. Yeah. So when I, this one went so physical with the villain. Well, because yeah. they wanted to go a little opposite. In fact, the studio wanted to go with the Riddler Which and they encouraged the casting to. of Leonardo DiCaprio as the Riddler. Oh, Everyone would have liked it. Yeah. Sure. It would have been interesting. But then Nolan said, no, we went cerebral villain last time. Chaos so, villain last time. I want more order and bulk. In yeah. This one. So Batman Begins, the theme was fear. Yeah. Dark Knight, it was chaos. In this one, pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this movie is, is pain. I mean, I'm not watching it. Well, yeah. what Bruce Wayne goes the through. Initial, his brother's original draft of this movie was 400 pages long. Is that where the plot holes went? Yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> I think that I the want big Nolan thing, to make an ultimate cut, a director's cut of his there, movies. There definitely are plot holes in this movie. And I think mm-hmm. that's where it really starts to bog it down in people's minds. I mean, I have this where at nine. This is your ninth. I have it at nine. Okay, so the most lower than low. I, But I do really like this movie, and I have been an apologist for it in the past, but. Um, at the end of the day, things like the autopilot and why all the uh, cops are in the tunnel and they don't grow facial hair. Cops in the tunnel is dumb. Autopilot is not. No, I, and it's fine. It's just the way it's cut. Autopilot is, is a little dumb. Just watching the, it again. The way it's cut. You is, didn't like it? It's, it's a little dumb. You didn't like it, but it was a wrap up for the end. It's, no, but the whole thing of like, how did he escape? He's Batman. And the cafe. Like, it's so close He's to being alive, a bold right? ending. I, and I don't like that. I, in the theater, I was like, yes, you had the courage. You did it. You killed Batman. And then I rolled my eyes. No. Nope. From the very get-go, Bruce always said, from Batman Begins. Begins. <laughs> begins. From Batman, Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Begins. From Batman Begins, he says, I'll be a symbol, and then I'm going to hang it up. He's going to hang it up for Rachel. And this movie, he finally does. And Michael Caine could not. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> Alfred could not be happier. 
No, well, but, he is the so, heart of this yeah. movie. There was I'll, also the discussion. One thing that got under my skin is the fact that this is eight years after the Joker's Reign of Terror, but then apparently Batman hasn't done anything for the past eight years or right. so. Because he's been so seen he as was a only Batman for like what a year, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just feels like well, that seems like a ripoff to me. Like Gotham. Well, just because longer. we know Batman can and animated series, how and long in, he's been around. This in a is more realistic, Nolan's trilogy in a more realistic setting. Yeah, one to two years is probably the lifespan of a superhero before their cartilage on their knees give out. Yeah. But so I'm going back to the ending, though. I think that it would have been more poetic if he had fully sacrificed himself for Gotham because, like Katie he, Crooked faced Katie, Katie Holmes said, uh, Wow, this is the mask. This is the mask. You're bad mouthing her, not Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, they're both terrible. Um, <laughs> Zach, don't forget Alfred's pretty old. Batman probably did die. <laughs> he didn't die. That's, Selena was wearing the jewels. Yeah, I've, I don't know. It's what, he knows that she stole the jewels. It's all an Alfred hallucination at the end there. You stop you it. See, you see him take a drink right before he sees them. A little aperitif right there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this is certainly, uh, uh, as far as superhero trilogies go, I mean, this is just, this is a great conclusion. Mm-hmm. By the way, in uh, Christmas of 2011, Christopher Nolan invited several prominent directors over to his house to see the first six minutes of Dark Knight Rises, including Edgar Wright, Michael Bay, Brian Singer, John Favreau, Eli Roth, Duncan Jones, and uh, Stephen Daltrey. And I thought, what a party! And I thought Kent would have been paid so much. Uh, there's a few there. people there I wouldn't have liked to hang out. Hold on, with. you're telling me you wouldn't have wanted to be there, Kent? Uh, I would have loved <laughs> to be there. We've had we've talked this long, and we haven't talked about that opening scene though. Oh yeah, the, the plane heist. Oh, that's good. That stuff. is so cool. And maybe oh, his coolest. It's so intense. Just when he's like, one of us has to stay behind, and the guy just does it, and I'm like, what did? What Cross, is this guy crossing this plane? Oh, that it's so cool. Must be more severe. But what I loved, I know it's poorly explained. I know there are plot holes. But when he actually does return to Gotham, he once again, because you haven't seen this since Batman, Batman Begins, Batman, he becomes Batman, the symbol. Batman, Batman, he yeah. rises, and in Batman Begins, he says, "I must become the symbol." Dark Knight, he's just kind of picked on the whole movie. <sighs> And then Dark Knight Rises, the criminals fear the bat symbol again. And I love it. Which, that's why he spent the, all the effort painting it in gasoline. It, and then Bane's like, it totally works. And then Bane's like, oh, my mouth's sore. I can't function. <laughs> yeah, the mouth thing. Uh, Marion Cotillard. Yay. <laughs> Except for worst death scene ever. Worst death scene. Terrible. 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 Great actress. Worst death scene. Yeah. All right. What my number next, six bud? from the year 2000, Memento. Number six. Number six, Kent. Yes. Where does this fit for you guys? This is my number two. This is my number three. Wow. You guys are just hipsters over here. Synopsis. A man with short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer. Kent, I own this movie. As uh, you should. And it is one. And the reason I own it is because I watched it back in the, you know, I was in film school and everything. And Mm -hmm. this one blew my mind the first time I saw it. Because this is a story about a guy with short-term memory loss. Guy uh, Pierce. Entrogate amnesia. And it's, and it's oh, real thing, right. by the way. Yeah, real thing. It's like Dory, but not funny. And <laughs> Big and sell. <laughs> but the thing is, the movie plays... There's, there's scenes that are going forward, and there's scenes that are going in reverse. Not played in reverse, but just out, out of sequence. Yes. It, it makes sense, though. It's not a gimmicky thing. It fits, because the scene starts, and you're like, what is happening? What, who's, who's he chasing? And it's like, oh, no, that guy's chasing him, because that's how the protagonist feels. The protagonist knows he's an unreliable narrator and so he tattoos his body with clues to find his wife's murderer mm-hmm. <gasps> and it's, should, we, should we not spoil this movie maybe well, well, if you haven't not, seen not no. the end here's end. the thing every time i watch this i watched this two days ago and i text joel and i said 
I didn't even realize that happened in the movie because every time I watch it, it changes for me. And I Google, I had to Google some things like, wait, wait. I was like, was this character trying to help them or were they trying to be a jerk? Right. And I had to look it up. Even though I own this movie and I've seen it multiple times, I had to look it up again because I was like, I'm trying to piece it together because it is out of order. And it's not order. even that challenging. Once you get to the end, it's not that challenging. It's it the way is, it's though, presented. Because once again, unreliable narrator, you don't know if what is being told at the end is truth. Yes. The twist ending in this movie blows my mind. So I saw this for the first time about 10 years ago. And then I watched this this past week. And I was as mind blown as the first time I saw it. I didn't realize how much I didn't remember. And even the stuff I did remember, I saw a different perspective on. I, I give this my play on repeat. Because it's, this is yeah, a movie that yeah. I immediately want to watch again. It's so interesting that we, we talk about Tenet and how you can't hear the dialogue. A lot gets lost there. We'd love it with subtitles. Every single piece of dialogue in this hour and 53 minute movie is important. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the thing about it is it's intentionally disorienting. Like they're mm-hmm. trying to make you feel disoriented because that's how the, the main character feels. But it's a disorienting story that rewards you for paying attention because you start to feel smart as you pick up things like that's why they did that. That means that well, you start putting it all together and you're I, like, I'm a genius. As a movie, it feels cheap. It plays out like a, a noonday noir mm-hmm. because he's basically his own version of a detective and he has an inner monologue. And for me, um, when a movie does that, I'm like, you're not a book. No. Tell your story better. But it plays so well. But here's it's the thing. so well written. I do that, Kent. Sometimes I'm like, where am I? What's it's Friday. What was yeah, it like doing? when I wake up and I'm like, what's going on? You know, trying to figure out. You do that? Do Sometimes you say it out loud or is it just in your It's head? in my head. But like, I, I, it could be because I watch this movie and I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. My favorite part, I think, of the entire movie is when he's running, yeah. snaps to and goes, okay, where am I? What am I doing? I'm chasing him. He's chasing me. Yeah. <laughs> like like he runs towards so, him and he shoots and he's like, oh, he's chasing me. This his, is, his memory resets every 15 minutes or so. He can't make new short-term memories. And Nolan does not do this, but a lot of it was improvised. So mm. a lot of his voiceover was improvised. And also the Sammy Jenkins scenes was improvised by Stephen Toblowski. Mind. Yeah. Blown. Ned Ryerson. Oh, man. Uh, he's blown. so good in this One movie. thing I thought was interesting to you. Okay. This is, by the way, is based on a short story by Jonathan uh, Nolan, Nolan called mm-hmm. Memento Mori, which I read. And they wrote and this, or they finished the story on a road trip they went on together. That's I love two that. doing that. But the, on the DVD, you can actually watch it in chronological order. Like, they piece it together normally, so you can watch the story just go. Do you have that copy? I don't. So it's only on one copy no, I have, of the I have, DVD. I have the Clean Flicks version, and okay. so it doesn't have the extra features. But I want to see kind of, like, how it plays out and forward, but at the same... Because I think it'd be a strong movie, regular. Yeah. But even cut up the way it is, cut up the way it is, it's a masterpiece. Like this blew my mind the first time I saw it. I think more people should watch it. It's so much fun. Absolutely. That's why it's my number two. His number three. three. My number number six. Six. It didn't even crack your top five. No. This was his breakout film. Just wait. Okay. I I would honestly recommend watching the movie and then immediately turning on and at least watching the first scene or two. Because having just seen how it breaks down. Having the context going into it. And then you go into watching the very beginning, which is actually just sort of the middle. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome. And a lot of the tricks he uses in Tenet, he uses in that very opening scene here. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Many medical experts have cited Memento as featuring one of the most realistic and accurate depictions of anterograde amnesia in the history of motion pictures. It's horrifying. I, I have one problem. Hmm. He, he, we, we talk about what's the last thing that he remembers. He remembers his wife. Yes. But then he always remembers that he has a condition. That doesn't make any sense. It's because he's faking it the whole time. <laughs> he a, would say that as an insurance adjuster. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense that he's like, well, I have this condition. Well, he probably has a tattoo or something. So How does like, he know his whole story? I don't know. So and then he would true. have to that's look the, at it and read it every point. time. So I'm going to make it number eight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zach. It's my number two. 
All right. What do you have at five? Top five. Are you watching closely? Oh. The Prestige from 2006. After a tragic accident, two stage magicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. This is two hours, ten minutes, written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan, cinematography by Wally Pfister. And this has uh, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, David Bowie, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Once again, a lot of actors that aren't really Nolanites. Like Hugh Jackman. ScarJo. ScarJo, come out of nowhere. There's one part I was watching this, I'm like, my kids walk in right now, they're going to think I'm watching Greatest Showman. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It really felt like that. That would be the darkest version of Greatest Showman. (laughs) Speaking of which, the first time I saw this, I did not like it. Well, the I ending. felt I felt it was mean spirited and dark. Like I was like, this is not a pleasant movie. But then upon rewatch, I was like, that's kind of the point is that this is uh, the Greek tragedy. This is the mm-hmm. person who could have redeemed themselves. Both characters, both Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, these warring magicians could have redeemed themselves at different parts. Yet they choose to keep playing their game of revenge. And both of them end up having a terrible time. Well, can we spoil this movie not no. I'd okay. say no. Actually, I'll just spoil it this way. And this is a quote from Michael King, Michael who's in King. this movie. And I'm not going to say it in his voice. Every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called a pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you the object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it is indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled, but you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige. And I feel like when this movie does the prestige. That's what he says at the beginning of the movie. When this movie, in its three parts, does these three parts of the magic trick, when we see the prestige, it's awful. It is awful. And we don't want to know. We don't want to know how well, the magic cr- trick is done. Everyone says you don't want to know how a trick is done because then it's not as cool. And this one is the same thing where you're like, wait, you're, that's how? You're like, because I hate certain characters now. You hate both. There's no real hero in here. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm rooting for this guy. No. Oh, he's kind of a jerk. Well, I'm rooting for this guy. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, there's no hero per se no. in this story. There's barely even a protagonist because both of them are antagonists. Yeah. By the way, this one was also adapted from a novel. So not originally written by Christopher Nolan. Um, but the author... He was going to have Sam Mendes make this movie. From and, uh, Sky and then, that would have been a good choice. And then he saw following. So way back in the day and said, no, that guy's perfect. Hmm. Yeah. And I think Christopher Nolan was perfect because, well, and, and yes, said, it's very twisty. The author of the novel did say it was an extraordinary and brilliant script, a fascinating adaptation of my novel. He mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. The book isn't as grim. No. Okay. Like there is the end plays out the same, but it's not as murderous. Uh, Roger Ebert described this movie as atmospheric, obsessive, almost satanic. <laughs> Satan? That's what he said. Wow, because he just felt dark vibes from I that, don't huh? know. Maybe he was under the influence or something, but I don't know. But so I have this as number five. Where did you guys put this again? This Prestige is my number seven. Oh, that's really low for you. I thought you really enjoyed this one. Uh, well, I, you do because it's on it a got, Nolan list. It got bumped up, but it... And it did... How many times get, have you seen this one? <laughs> This three or four. This is a memento for me. Every time I watch it, it gets stronger. Yeah, Zach, where do you have it? I gave this the complete package award, number one. 
This is my favorite. Prestige is your favorite? This is my favorite, Nolan. I love this movie. There was uh, one of these review channels on YouTube was doing their ranking of Nolan movies, and they put it very near the bottom. They said the twist in this movie is too simple, and I love that about this movie. I love that this super complex movie has a twist that is so simple. Well, and they tell you many times throughout the movie what Absolutely. the twist will be. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 plain. Zach, this is right your number there. one? This is my number Why'd one. Why'd you let us just go on and on I about know. it? I adore this movie. I immediately want to play it again. So so that's now three movies that we've talked about that I think immediately need to be rewatched. Tenet for not great reasons. Memento for mind-blowing reasons. This for pure enjoyment. I love this movie through and through. I was going to say, when you guys watch this for the first time, Zach in particular, I'm talking to, did you pick up on the Christian Bale twist? Nope. That's It's a pretty easy one, I I think. I I didn't pick up on what it was. I just knew something was off with one of those characters. And I was like, that person, I don't... It's kind of... For me, it was beat over my head. And I'm like, I get it. It's the other character that surprised me. I think that this movie is... Like what? Extremely well acted, extremely well made. I like that it's not super over the top like some of the other movies. I there's a, a sort of intimacy to this one mm-hmm. that I don't think he has between any, Scarlett Johansson and uh, Christian Bale. <laughs> sure, <laughs> no, and it, you're right. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and uh, the just the conversations with the you know you you don't, you don't love me today or you love me today or yeah. like that that little stuff. Those connections uh, are are just what so ambition cool. can do to you. Yeah. 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 And and like, watching all these characters, like nobody is this white knight. Nobody is the hero. Everybody is grim and gray well, like they in keep, a certain way. Well, initially they were fine. And then, but I kept being like, how could you do that to someone else? And then the next person, they do something else. I'm like, how could you do that to someone else? <laughs> like, I just get mad at each other, at both the people in here. Yeah. But it's, that thing is it's emotionally effective because I was drawn in and disgusted by the actions of some of these people. Yeah. Because of just they're horrible to each other. I allowed said no multiple times in this movie. You're number one. I love it. I would watch it any day of the week. Okay. Awesome. I, I love this movie so much. A darker soul than I do. Sure, I'll take it. <laughs> it's <laughs> about magic and it has the greatest show. Don't say it. magic that way. Magic. It's not magic. magic. It's about <laughs> it's doves like, getting squashed. Roger Ebert calls it satanic, okay? I I'm down with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Save it for October shows. Number four from 2005, it's the return of the best comic book character of all time. A redemption, if you will, in Batman Begins in 2005. You say redemption because this came out uh, after... Seven years yeah, after Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. Or eight years. Yeah. A movie that essentially killed the franchise, killed the crazy? character. Well, because yeah. it got more... like no, uh, Tim Burton came out and did his Batman movies kind of more serious and dark. And then they got more toyified as it went on and yes. became more and more outlandish and comic booky. which there's a time and a place for comic book movies. And I loved those corny Batman movies as a kid. You did? Still? Yeah. Outside of the soundtracks? I, I loved them. Yeah. I loved them. But then I didn't like Tommy Jones. I never liked Tommy Jones. Remember when you saw the trailer for Batman Begins and he opens the up the drawers there and you see the mask and I was like, oh my gosh. Batman can be taken seriously again. Well, I just remember thinking, do we need another Batman origin story? Then after I got done watching the movie, I'm like, yes, yes, we do. Because this is my number four as well, Kent. Oh, yeah. This is my top five as well. So after training with his mentor, Batman begins his fight to free crime-ridden Gotham City from corruption. So pretty simple. Mm. But this movie is not super simple. It goes back and forth. A lot of time cuts here. I didn't really notice. Like, you you think about Batman Begins, you're like, yeah, origin story. But watch, I watched this with my kids recently, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I hope they can follow what's going on because it's jumping between him as a child, him is yeah. in the prison, him being trained, him as Batman. Not just follow, but can people have the patience for this? Because it's called Batman Begins. 
Batman in costume is not shown for an hour into yeah. this movie. It honestly, but, for me, could have been the Bruce Wayne story and shown Batman at the very end, and I would have been fine. But what it did well for me, and this is what I've, I've said this before, I think on Bacon Sale, it helped me realize why criminals fear Batman. Because that scene in the shipping yard where oh, he's yeah. just taking him out one by one, I was like, I get it. He's terrifying. And just the way it was played out, and I, I told my kids when I showed this to them, and you can look at this actually to review on Patreon.com. You can see our my kids review this movie. But I, I explained to him beforehand. I got up and gave my, my speech before I do before movies. <laughs> of course. And I said, this is an, a realistic adaptation. He wanted to say, how could this exist in the real world? And he did it in a way that's like, there are no other superheroes in Nolan's universe. He's the first one to come up with this, this idea of a <laughs> you superhero. You mean no one's going to say, this is why Superman works alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no one's going to say that. But it worked so well. And traditional stunts, uh, practical effects, yep. miniatures. like they, they were not using CGI except for a couple little bit here and there mm-hmm. to make it look cooler. It's so interesting because Christopher Nolan loves the Bond franchise. The yeah. big inspiration behind his movies and they actually, it was Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, the producers of Bond, yeah. who decided to reboot or reinvent Bond after they saw this movie. And mm-hmm. then they made The Grounded Casino Royale. Yep. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Ken, uh, you mentioned Sam Mendes and, and Skyfall mm-hmm. being an inspira- Batman Begins being an inspiration for that. I had a couple more that, that have, the directors who have claimed that Batman Begins is their inspiration. Kent, he said the title of that movie without singing it. I know. I'm, proud I'm of him. shocked. Skyfall. There we go. <laughs> uh, John Favreau said he was in, that he, Iron Man was inspired by this movie. Matthew Vaughn said X-Men First Class was inspired by Batman Begins. And this is all, it's partially too. Yeah, you know, both but, good movies. Uh, Mark Webb said The Amazing Spider-Man inspired by this. Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman was inspired by Batman Begins. Well, James Mandigold said Logan was inspired by this. Andrew Kozove said Blade Runner 2049 was inspired by Batman Begins, which is funny because Batman Begins was inspired by the original Blade Runner. The look and feel. Christopher Nolan's favorite movie is Blade Runner. Oh. When he made this movie, he said to the whole crew, we're watching Blade Runner right now because that's what this movie is going to be. I, I get it. What a film geek. I also, love him for it. Let's get film geeky too because uh, he had Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard, two really good composers mm-hmm. on their own, both scored this movie because he wanted the split personality, the dual personality of Bruce Wayne and Batman represented in one score. Do you have some mm-hmm. of the titles for the tracks? Uh, the only one I remember is Molossus. Yes, yeah, so that's they're the cool all, one. They're all bat names, like in Latin. Yeah, in different languages, like different species, Latin species. And then if you look at them, which I think they, is a bad idea. The first well, it's track, not memorable, but they're still great tracks. The first yeah. track starts with a B. The second track starts with an A. The third track starts with a Batman. T. And they spell Batman. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just am like I can't remember which one is the part when he does this. I have to kind of skim through and be like, oh, that's the part. Also, obviously, we got into the Joker with the Dark Knight, but we finally get to see more of the Rogues Gallery. We saw Ra's al Ghul. We got to see the scarecrow yeah league of shadows like you don't see those yeah unless you're watching like the animated series unrealistic like scarecrow realistic that wasn't easy to pull off and raz al ghul as a realistic persona Mm -hmm. he's a mystic and he did this weird thing where he's like i'm gonna make a movie that has good actors in it yeah i'm gonna make this superhero movie that's going to you know you have liam neeson and killian murphy and christian bale and morgan freeman and and uh who plays the butler Oh, Michael, Michael Kine. Kine. Michael Kine. And you know, so you have these these good actors helping create this grounded universe. For me personally, I put it at number seven, and it's just one of those situations wow. where it kind of fell. I, I rewatched this one, and uh, I, I don't know if it's I've seen this one maybe one too many times, or I just like other ones more, but it, it slipped a little bit. I do feel like this is the best Batman movie because it's about Batman. Yes. There are other movies starring Batman. Yeah. 
that may be better, but this is the best Batman-centered movie. This is about Bruce Wayne, Batman, because some other movies aren't as much. Well, and I think mm-hmm. that because... This is the fourth highest grossing Batman film behind Tim Burton's Batman. It didn't make a lot of money, actually. It was 411 worldwide. Yeah. I gave this the best reboot just because this is the best reboot yes. ever made. You're right. It's, you know. it's how to do a reboot right because it is, let's try something different and not retell the same thing that we've already done. Yeah. And it's, I love that about it. It took a, its own direction, created its own universe, and has been copied, obviously, many times since. By the way, Nolan described his inspiration as being Richard Donner's 1978 film, Superman. It's focused on depicting the character's growth. That's cool. Yeah. You can like lots of stuff. I love Superman. You don't. <laughs> I do, too. Zack Snyder did it better, but I just love oh. Superman. Oh, okay. What's My your number three? Number three. Top three. And look, oh, we've talked about greatness. Masterpieces from here on out. Yeah. Masterpieces. Yeah. And according Joel, to you, I know you're going to disagree. I'm surprised this isn't your number 11. Interstellar from 2014 is an outright masterpiece. Can't I owe you an apology? Why? What? Why? I've bashed on. Hold on, hold on. Can we stop for a second? <laughs> and let me just embrace this real you quick. You guys are too nice wait, last wait. week. I've bashed on Interstellar many a time. Since 2014. And I don't want to say bash because I've always been no. like, I liked it. No, so. It was fine. At a previous job, Joel and I worked together, yeah. and I get to see these movies. I, I don't think I brought you to this one. I think you did. Did I? I, I wouldn't have gone to see this on my okay, own. Okay, but Joel and I, maybe... Oh, no, maybe I want to go see it with my brother-in-laws. I might have gone to see this So I came over to Joel, and he's like, so? I was Interstellar. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I he started I, weeping. I think openly. I cried. I honestly think I cried. And I don't cry. And yeah. I was like... He cried like Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Love is the fifth dimension, okay? <laughs> and I was just praising it. And then Joel saw it maybe a day later, and he goes, that's okay. I, I was like, I said it was good. Hold on. No, no, I went like, it was good. What do you mean it was just good? He, he stabbed me. I stabbed <laughs> him a few times. Pulled a shiv out of his sock and just stabbed and me. And he only raised it a half star. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, Joel. My apology Go is on. This. My apology is this. Is I, the first time I saw this, the only time I saw this before, it was, it's a bit much and it's very long. You mean two hours, 49 minutes? His longest movie mm-hmm. to date. And I watched this one and I... I, What's it about real quick? Oh, yeah, I should say that. A team of explorers travel through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. Right. Now, my original review said, Interstellar is a well-crafted, deep-thinking film full of amazing visuals and a story that sparked conversation with others, but it's not my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Even though the odd pacing may have been intentional, it may have the film seem sloppy to me. There were parts that they sped through, whereas other scenes seemed to drag on for decades. Objectively, I can appreciate what this film has to offer, but it's not one I'd choose to watch, own and watch repeatedly. It Kent, sounds like you hate it, Joel. I was not a fan. All right. Kent, this is my number one. <gasps> I'm kidding. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. Guys, I peed a little. <laughs> <laughs> this is my number eight. It got... Bu- Kent, it was... <laughs> Kent! It was oh. Ken, It was like number ten and nine, and then I watched. Here's the thing. Okay. My apology comes here. I watched this a second time. I could not take my eyes away from it, and I kept like I kept trying to go back to doing what I was doing, like working mm-hmm. what I was working on, and I kept watching the movie and be like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta do this, and then I get pulled in again. Even in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I kept getting pulled in emotionally. Where like mm-hmm. whether it be the, the conversation on the video screen, that one that tore me apart again. Oh. Uh, the part when they're doing the docking was so intense. Oh, man. The water planet, the 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 escape, the the I all get that chills whole thing. thinking about the water. Planet. And I started being like, you know what? This movie has more merit than I gave it initially. And so I have bumped up mine from a three point five stars to a. This is a four star movie now. 
nice. So there's my apology. Okay. It's number now, eight. Joel, that's enough from you. <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. Yes. Yes. I have this friend sitting across from me on this other side who... Hi. I'll never watch it because I hate Matthew McConaughey because of movies he did 15 years ago. Um, who watched it for the first time the other day. Yeah. Today? Today. And he hates Matthew McConaughey. My number, my number three Nolan movie. Go on. I still hate Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Almost <laughs> as much as I hate Anne Hathaway. Ooh, this is a double win for you then. Because they're both in this movie. And I hated this movie for the first hour. Legitimately was so, so you bored. didn't care about the you specifically t- you specifically told me don't don't get on your phone and I did not listen to you and I was just dinking around on my phone that's I, the hide the shiv I did I will use this straw I was, to stab you I was racing half star I texted a friend and went I cannot believe this movie is still going on it is so long and it was painful I really didn't shame like it. on you and then something just sort of switched what and it switched? really was about the time that they got to the ice planet thing. It wasn't the water planet. The water planet was where it, it started to make the turn. Right. From ice planet on, I was in. I was so in. I was all about it. I didn't even care that it was Matthew McConaughey, who I still hated. <laughs> a, a lot of people didn't like Matt Damon in that role, I, actually. Damon, surprise I, Matt Damon. Matt da- when Matt Damon shows up and in that role and everything, that to me, that movie took off. I... N- not pun so intended. Matt Damon counterbalances the Matthew McConaughey hate your love for Matt Damon counterbalances McConaughey hate McConaughey sure. I actually liked <laughs> him I liked yeah. him being the, I liked him taking an angle that he typically doesn't take in his movies a little you know he was more of a selfish kind of character would you agree this is the best score for any Christopher Nolan uh, movie. Uh, it's really? close. No. I think it's the most co- consistent score. I think it's a beautiful score and one I would listen to, but there's one I like. There's I three I like more. I hear that. Uh, I, I don't. I, it's still sort of new to me, but the organ work in this, I actually told you before we started recording, I, I had heard a story and watched a documentary about the organ that they used for this score mm-hmm. before I'd even seen the movie. I do think the score is absolutely gorgeous. So Joel, at the beginning of the show, you brought up time being a constant motif. Yes. In Nolan's movies. Yes. This is a movie where time is just as important as the environments they visit. Yes. And there we've it's talked about it on like the show. Food, air, or water. Yeah. And when time is wasted, that is years and sometimes decades wasted. And you feel it. And it's sad. To me, this is the emotional core of Nolan's filmography. I had made a comment Your about... number three is the emotional core of Nolan's filmography? Mm-hmm. I made a comment about the prestige feeling intimate. But I would argue that this might be his most intimate of movies, which is crazy because... You're dealing with the vastness of space and, and the vast distances that they cross, yet it's a really intimate story, and it's extremely emotional. Yeah. His most emotional movie. So Steven cool Spielberg's too. It, oh, yeah, and practical as well. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg was meant to make this. Jonathan Nolan wrote it, but Spielberg was going to make it in 2006, and they just kept doing other movies, which weren't very good. And <laughs> so he waited a couple of years and said, okay, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, Want to hey, make brother. this movie? Hey, brother. And it was a great idea. I did give this the award for the almost being in focus. I watched it uh, in uh, high quality on a good screen. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of n- scenes that are not in focus, specifically on characters where it's, again, Weird these intimate in? moments. They, they're they seriously like the focus is just not quite there. And I actually went on some forums and people agree. They're like, hmm. no, there were plenty of complaints about this one stylistically. I think Nolan was trying some crazy stuff, which he's continued, it's, where the music well, overwhelms dialogue, for example. You can't hear a lot of what's said, and it's because you're not, it's not Michael as important. Kind. It's yeah. more about emotion yeah, rather but than But luckily, I did get to watch it with my subtitles. It is long. 
it's very long. It feels long, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of story to tell as well. I just want to prepare people. And it's bizarre. Like, Ken, you're not going to agree with this, but it's the truth. The ending of this is like the ending of Lost, where no, you don't get all the resolution and all the answers that you want, but the emotional core is there I, and you feel resolved. Oh, I feel like it resolves really nicely. I think the ending is pretty controversial myself. I think it's either if you believe in spirituality, this movie answers it for you. If you believe sure. in alien life, this movie answers it for you. <laughs> I will say for most of them, that beginning part that I didn't like, I was like, if I'm watching a space movie with Matthew McConaughey, I want contact. <laughs> Which, <laughs> no, you don't. I was going to say that. I love contact. Oh, it was the same consultant who worked on this movie that worked on contact. Yeah. Kip Thorne. Kip Thorne. That's his mm-hmm. name. And so they, yeah. and they said, like, they've had a lot of astrophysicists look at this and just be like, yeah, this is this is pretty. And astronomers being like, this is pretty spot on. What what yeah. a wormhole theoretically. So Kip could be Thorne like. actually says, "There's two rules. I will stay a consultant as long as you follow these rules." And it was nothing violates established physical laws, and any wild speculation in the script springs from science and not just a screenwriter. Hmm. So there were times where they were like, "Sure, black hole travel, yada yada yada," but it could potentially happen. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of space movies, and this one certainly didn't win me over. But once again, once we got to the more intimate parts of it, it's surprising. You don't like space movies? Not that really. It seems like a very general statement. Uh, like yeah, just astro- astronauty type movies. You know? Astronauty. Like, like Star Wars kind of stuff? Or? No, like uh, Apollo 13 is probably like so space my shuttle, favorite. More grounded in reality Martian, space shows. Martian, eh. Okay. You know, those Mission of, of Mars? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like astronaut Alien? movies. By the way, Michael Caine is in Interstellar. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Every time, every time, <laughs> just do supercut. Michael Caine at the Michael end. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Number two is the Dark Knight. You is that number okay? Two. Is that okay? At this time, I'd like to announce my departure from Bacon Cell. <laughs> um, Stop that! <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, Kent. Number two for me. Too. Yeah, it's number yeah. two. Number this, two. This is my number one. Well, of course, it is. But tell us why. And well, the thing is, Ken, I'm actually I knew exactly when as soon as you said Nolan shows. Since we're going to be ranking these, I was like, I know exactly what <laughs> Ken's number one is going to be. Yeah. But, and surprisingly, it's not the, a Batman movie. Well, that's just it. So you know, just goes to show who's the bigger Batman fan here, and it's me. Cute. The Dark Knight. When the menace known as the Joker wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. This is directed by Christopher Nolan, who did Following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, oh and Percent, Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, and Stellar Dunkirk and Tenet. This is one where, when, it's, when it was announced Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker, I was like, nah. Don't you nah. feel like this set the standard? Anytime there's an actor we feel is miscast in a potential movie, everyone kind of goes, but Heath Ledger... Yeah, because it was a surprise. Yeah. Because when he came on the screen, mm-hmm. he commanded it. Oh, boy. Now, this is uh, his highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes Magic Trick. 94% uh, from the critics, 94% from the audience. Multiple viewings of this one. This is, this is a movie I own, and I crave to watch it. So what's interesting about this one, Warner Brothers was really worried. Because remember, they only made about $400 million with Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. And yes, they got the same director and Christian Bell to work on another one, but they weren't sure it would be a success. And they said, can we call it Batman the Dark Knight? Because audiences won't just see the Dark Knight. They don't know what that means. And no Isn't like, that nope. crazy? Nope, we're just doing the Dark Knight. So I remember this was 2008. I was not yet a movie critic, and I worked at a bank with a buddy, and he saw this one at a early screening, the mm-hmm. ones I go to now. So he saw it about two now? days. Well, not any, not anymore. <laughs> but he saw it about two, three days before I did. And I was like, so I really love Batman Begins. They tease the Joker. Please tell me it's good. And he looked at me and I, the biggest smile. And he goes, 
Let's put a smile he on goes, his face. It's, it's not a comic book movie. It's a crime drama. And I was like, no way. It can't be that good. And oh my gosh. That is why, Kent, it's my number one. Because even if you remove the Batman element, the mm-hmm. Joker element, and just made this a crime thriller with a chaotic villain and a kind of vigilante type person. It doesn't have to be Batman and Joker. It could just be regular people. And it would work as a movie. The, the question I love that it asks is, who will win the heart of Gotham? And like yeah. you're saying, who will win the, the heart of this corrupted city? Yeah. The hero or the villain? Well, and it's basically asking the question of, are people inherently good or inherently people evil? And it, this one takes you through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Like my wife actually got very stressed out during this movie and has a hard time watching it. But, and it is, it's hard for the longest time. But then at the end, it gives you, no, you know what? People are good. And there is good in this world, and the city is worth well, saving. That's why the crosscut in this one just deals with civilians yeah. and criminals as well, and yeah. it is so compelling. And this a budget of 185 million, and it made one billion dollars, billion with a B. Whew. Yeah. Now, and, and you know the the nine minute sweep for the Joker is actually just two notes. It's D and C. You know, like the the one that's like played on the saw or whatever. Yeah, D D and C. I kind of love that. That's yeah. funny. Uh, this is, like Kent said, this is the highest grossing film of 2008, but it didn't have a lot of competition. This is in order. Dark Knight, and then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was next, then Kung Fu Panda, then Hancock, then Mamma Mia, Madagascar 2, Quantum of Solace, Iron Man. Wow. And I just... Weird year. I was like, yeah, it was a weird year, but... And Mamma just... Mia did way too well. <laughs> Mamma Mia came out on the same day. Did it? Uh, the same day as Dark Knight. That's kind of wow. programming right there. Yeah, it's funny. And I love Christopher Nolan. His theme of this movie was escalation. It's like at the end of Batman Begins, things have to get worse before they get better. And they do like it, it's it just cracks me up just how well this movie stresses out people who yeah. watch it because you can almost sense how greasy the Joker is. You can almost smell oh, him man. on the screen. And Joel, you're going to love this. So they made a video game, a licensed video game for Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. I played it. I think it was a PlayStation 2 game. I totally forgot about that. And then they were going to make a video game for this one, but the the studio was having issues and they're like, I don't really know what we're going to do with it. They didn't really see it working out. And then that studio, Rocksteady, said, we're going to change it up a little bit. And they made Arkham Asylum. Oh. came out in 2009. That's so another victory. great Batman project came out of this. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when this was being filmed in Chicago, they wanted to hide it. Sometimes movies will do that when they film. They'll put it under a, a false name on the, on the mm-hmm. signs so that people don't go, oh, it's a Batman movie. This one was called Rory's First Kiss, which obviously leads me to believe Chris Nolan is a Gilmore Girls fan. Oh, <laughs> But uh, no, I, I mean, I've, I've talked about how much I love this movie and I just showed this to my kids as well. Uh, there's going to be a review on Patreon for that as okay. well. How did they react when they saw the bat pod? Well, oh, they love that. Was that incredible? Well, so here's a quick funny story. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm talking so much about this. Movie. It's dark. Night. So Please much. go on. This is my number one. But uh, years ago when I was watching this and I was, I just love periodically just popping this in and watching it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so well done and I'm watching it, enjoying it. And all of a sudden I hear a little shuffle on the stairs uh, going upstairs behind me. I turn around and my little two-year-old son was sitting there, just wide eyes. He'd been there a while watching this movie. Which scenes? I don't know, because I don't know how long he'd been there, but it was well into the movie. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I take him upstairs, I, I lay him down, I sing him a song, you know, put him to bed, and then I go back downstairs, and then he's up and crying again. So I go upstairs. And this is like a couple times it happens where I try to watch the movie, I have to keep pausing to go up there. And then finally I talk to him, I said, hey, buddy, did you see the movie? Or I said, what are, you, what are you scared of? I said, did you see part of the movie? He's like, yeah. And I said, what scared you? And he went, the Joker. Because <laughs> he knew of the Joker. It's terrifying context, and adorable. But seeing him on the movie terrified him. He actually got to watch this for the first time recently. 
and wet himself completely. He yeah, has he's trauma, like, but yeah. I don't yeah. want a cell phone in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they. I prepared like them before. Yeah, I prepared them before. They, they, they're they in horror movie training. This is like a phase two type thing where it's like, this is scary. It's not horror, but it's scary. Yeah. yeah. And they, they loved it. Uh, so... Yeah, Marcy, and that opening. I'm done scene. talking. You guys yeah. can. I, I gave this one the award. How is this a comic book movie? Kind of like you talked about. It's just. I remember when I first saw this. Uh, I think I've said this on the show. This was the last movie that I saw as a proper like midnight showing. Like mm-hmm. I, I lined up at ten o'clock. I just got whatever seat I could get. You know, it was before assigned seating. And I remember specifically. You know, we had all these people, all these mm-hmm. big fans, and it, there was a lot of energy. And so there was some vocal reaction to a lot of what was happening in the movie. And I don't love that. But the moment after the Rachel and Harvey explosion. Yes. Dead silence. Of course. Not only is the movie silent, but the theater is entirely silent. I was literally on the edge of my seat. Did they just do that? Did they just do and that? Yeah. The, the interrogation scene. That's Nolan's favorite scene. It's, it's the interrogation it's scene. It's amazing. It's good. It works out All so well. All that rage and you could do nothing with it. Oh, man. I think this movie has one flaw. Five deaths. The falling off the building gamble he's the worst enough from the clown he's the one that he's like in charge of the guy who gets the pencil in the mafia face. room yeah oh yeah, he's yeah. the worst um no, I, the only th- i watched this again and for it i didn't like it as much as i had granted i've seen this so many times it's really long Mm-hmm. And it's, I think there's, minutes. I think there's maybe one too many plot lines, 20 minutes less than in interstellar. I could have, I could have done without maybe the, the blackmail plot line or something. I think there's just, there's a little bit too much going on, but it's so well interweaved. Yeah. You actually can't take anything out. I think dark. <laughs> where, where does this fall for you again? Uh, the, Oh, this is my number two. Okay. I think dark Knight rises. Sue and Kent agreed again is yeah, of course. Almost entirely. Mm-hmm. Joel, you and I have not agreed once and we won't beyond the five death. <laughs> Plot hole, which I do consider to be a plot hole. You I think the real the real tragedy die. here is. I figured that out by the way. Okay, we're going to talk about okay. it. Is Harvey Dent? Aaron Eckhart is so good in this movie, overshadowed completely. Sadly, yeah, but he's so good in this movie that when it ends, you're like, but no, but that's, but no, he goes Nolan. from zero to sixty real quick, though. To me, it makes sense. I think it's like, like his acting, like he goes from from cool, calm to screaming at people really quick. Yeah. That's my my only my thing. I was like uh, yeah. with him, but I think he is fantastic. Will this, this ever movie. be surpassed as a comic book movie? No, I don't know. I think it. There's everything surrounding it. I know that's hyperbole. I think because all of the eyes were on it, because frankly of the death of Heath Ledger, all there were so many eyes on it. People wanted to to see it. They wanted it to be good, um, or they wanted to see if it was the thing that drove him to madness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were they were left with this this beautiful crime movie that accidentally has Maggie Gyllenhaal in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Eckhart. We, people talk about the Joker so much. Yeah. No one talks about Aaron and Eckhart. And they should. He's great. He is. He does a good job. Uh, it, this, it's just outstanding. As time has gone on a little long, but I just remember seeing it that first time. I actually looked down at my watch when it was done. And, you know, midnight showing. So it's three o'clock or, or later. Mm-hmm. And I went... Where did the time go? Yeah. So yeah. I really only think that it's long because I've seen it six times, you know? Yeah. So I would say Nolan peaked in 2008, but in, then in 2010, two yeah. short years later, he makes his magnum opus, and that is Inception. It is my number one film. It is my number three film. Why number three? Because Memento and Dark Knight beat it. Okay. It's my so number, Memento is your two. Okay. It's yeah. my number four. Inception is your four? Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. 
I still thought, top five, Kent. Calm down. When we when we just we talked about having this show, I thought it was going to be my number one. I rewatched it recently, and I did not enjoy it that much, as much as I had. Can I stab him yet? No. Here's Please. why. Please. I told you no stabbing. Here, here's so why. This I give it the award. Wait, let me tell you about it some more. This movie explains too much. Okay, tenant hater. At the oh, very, okay. At the very end, <laughs> take it easy. I want more exposition. We're in the final <laughs> climactic scene where they're um in the snow fortress. Yeah, they're sniping off people, and he's like, "Hold on, let me explain to you why sniping these people is okay." Like, come on, just show me some more. That is the thing wow. that it's it full blown bugged you me. You mean this the time. best cross cut ever, where we have the van slowly falling off the bridge. We've got JGL <laughs> fighting <laughs> in the hallways. You mean the guy that's just there to explain things? He's the point man, right? He explains things and then he's in a cool spinny scene. <laughs> Don't call it a cool spinny scene. <laughs> it's one of the better practical effects of film history at this point. Absolutely. Then we have a Bond movie happening in the third cross cut. So we'll gush about this movie, a thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of a CEO. Okay. That is the synopsis. Of the movie. Okay. Just in case people didn't know what Inception was about. This movie is two hours, 28 minutes. So, that's a, you know, Nolan kind of has a thing. Well, yeah. and you get like, the, all, like said, all-star cast of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Marion Cotillard, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Killing Murphy, Tom Berenger, Michael Caine. Here's what's amazing. Michael we Kine. talk about sequels and franchises being the 10 biggest films of the year, every single year. This is an idea that Christopher Nolan had written just by him, and he made it, got a blank check to make it. It cost $160 million to make and this original blockbuster made $828 million. Fourth, this gives me faith this was the fourth, in audiences. Don't get too much faith because it was the fourth highest grossing film after Toy Story 3, understandably, is the end of a trilogy, yeah. Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> oh, uh, and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. I'm out. Makes sense. I'm out. Thanks, humanity. <laughs> Thanks, humanity, for Alice in Wonderland. I gave this movie I gave this movie a little bit of a hard time. I think I was looking for some things to find in it. But let's be honest. This is... Uh, this was the, the thing that summer. This is the thing that people were talking about. But it is also, it's f- so funny how this movie is all about implanting an idea in someone's mind, letting it grow. Inception. Mm-hmm. People add Inception at the end of everything now. Yeah. Where it's, it's like funny. pizza Inception because it's a pizza within a layers pizza. Layers within layers is Inception. But it's, become, that joke. It, but it's become part of yeah. the zeitgeist. Like, can't you roll your eyes? But it's, it, it's a testament to how impactful this yet. movie was where people just kind of, people reference it now. It's become a part of our culture. Fun fact, this movie is an allegory for filmmaking. Yeah. I saw that. That was actually a pretty cool thing. How it's yeah. like they create this world and yep. have to make the viewer believe in it. And, and everyone like in that. the crew has a role on the crew. Because movies well. are trying to to give you an idea in your brain. And so Ellen Page, who, oh, she's a weakness. She um, is. But Ellen Page is the set designer. You know, uh, Dom is the director. Why am I saying his character name? Yeah. Uh, oh, because Ariadne is Ellen Page's stupid name. It's a, it's a mythological name. Okay. Zach. It's okay. fine. It's dumb. All right. Uh, but Dom is the director. You know, you have Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy is actually being an actor because he's literally playing other characters. And I think mm-hmm. it's really cool when you compare those. You know, he actually, it was after Insomnia, Christopher Nolan wrote an 80-page treatment of this movie of, of about, about a dream heist. He took it to Warner Brothers and said, uh, I want to make this, you know, kind of based on lucid dreaming picture. Mm-hmm. But then he said, you know what? It's going to take a lot more budget than you're going to give me right now. So he, then he stepped back and did Batman Begins, Prestige and Dark Knight. And, and then, then they said, okay, now here's your blank check. Wow. Yeah. And is he still dreaming? Ooh. 
at the end? Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't matter. Does the top fall? Oh, I think doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. So my, my read on it has always been the most important thing is not whether the top falls or not. It's the fact that he walks away. Every other time he spun the top, he has looked at it with intent. He's looked at it with, with uh, like his life depends on it. And this time he spun it and walked away, which means it doesn't matter if it falls. He has accepted his reality. And I... I'm an optimist. I believe it's just reality. And I have a couple evidences, you know, like wedding rings and mm-hmm. Michael Caine. And the actual totem. Uh, yeah. It just kind of like pointing to the fact that it was real. But that's one thing that I like in a couple of different Christopher Nolan movies. The ending is a little more open-ended. And so then it's like, you can interpret this how you want. People will be like, I think it's this. And I think it's this. And he's like, great. What you want to think? I've made the canvas. Yeah. You see what you want to see in it. It is crazy that when this movie ended, I remember in the theater, there was an audible groan of, oh, <laughs> yeah. just but show I think that's us. Fun. I think that's a fun groan. Yeah. No, it no, wasn't no. like an M. Night Shyamalan. Oh. Uh, and this is the score I probably like more than Interstellar. Can't, one of the scores I like more than It's amazing. I absolutely love it. Uh, this is such a fun score to work to, to drive to, mm-hmm. to make trailers to. Yeah. Yeah. It did lose <laughs> All <of> them. It <laughs> lost the Academy Award for Best Original Score to Social Network, which is also oh, a really good. good score. Ken Reznor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is this is such a uh, an interesting movie and a fun movie and a cerebral movie. This is the coolest like blockbuster movie ever. I'm waiting for him to make another movie with Leo at this point, but yeah. it hasn't happened since. Yeah, well, he wanted to work with him for a long time before this, and mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't pan out. But then he got to work together in in this one. And so you good. like him in this movie? You like Leo? Oh, great! Yeah, he's good. absolutely great. Okay, go, Kent. You We've feel, done you it. Feel, do you feel satisfied? I feel satisfied, but I want to know right now, in order, what you guys had. All right, you want to read your list? Well, we've already covered it, but my just real quick from eleven to one: Following, Insomnia, Dunkirk, Tenet, Dark Knight Rises, Memento, Prestige, Batman Begins, Interstellar. Dark Knight, and Inception. My 11 was Tenant. My 10 is Following. 9 is Dunkirk. 8 is Interstellar. 7 is Prestige. 6 is Dark Knight Rises. 5 is Insomnia. 4 is Batman Begins. 3 is Inception. 2 is Memento. And 1 is The Dark Knight because I'm the greatest Batman fan in this bacon salad. <laughs> and my 11 is Following. My 10 is Insomnia. My 9 is The Dark Knight Rises. My 8 is Tenant. My 7 is Batman Begins. My 6 is Interstellar. My 5 is Dunkirk. My 4 is Inception. My 3 is Memento. My two is The Dark Knight, and my number one is The Prestige. And most importantly, all but three of these films have Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> so there you go. We have talked about Christopher Nolan finally, Kent. We've given you your due. You don't get another show for the rest of the year. Oh, <laughs> honestly worth it. <laughs> loved it. I loved every second. But let us know. If you have seen all these movies, let us know what order you put them. Even if you haven't seen all of them, let us know the ones you've seen and where you would rank We did them. our best not to spoil them as well. So please we give them a watch if you haven't. Yes. Yeah. Let us know if uh, what you think when you see them. Because Kent's always up for talking about The Dark Knight. Any of these movies are absolutely worth your time. We've given a lot of love to Christopher Nolan today, but we want to give some love to our patrons, including the I Am The Listener tier, which includes Babs, Jennifer Kukowski, Sweet Bottom Cakes, Jessica Drought, Braden Winterton, Kyler Loves Bacon Sale, Alicia Bass, Crew Dutler, Adrian Gray, Terry Finlay, Sean Sanquist, and Scott Sprague. 
We also have the Baking Council, which includes Brian Madsen, Mats, uh, Jessica Terry, Stephen Ross, Chris Anderson, Nicole DeHill, Ryan Farron, and Reverse Listener. Thank you for so much for being the patrons of Bacon Cell. We really do appreciate we it. We love you. We heart you, patrons. But if you want to find me, you can find me at 76Joel on Twitter, or you can find me before the QuickWits. They're doing virtual shows for free on Facebook. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the QuickWits Facebook page. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Kenny3DD. And if you want to read my current movie reviews, <laughs> you can have a review this week. It's ShowtimeShowdown.com. Yes! If you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Tumbling Mustard. But most importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale. Like the page on Facebook. Follow at Bacon Sale on Instagram and Twitter. And then while you're doing that, stop by and get yourself some swag. Go to tpublic.com slash bacon sale where you can get yourself a t-shirt or a mug or a mask. And then if you want to support the show, you can do so in a financial way on patreon.com slash bacon sale where support of the show starts at just $3 a month and you can get some fun goodies. We actually, for our tier two uh, patrons and above, got they got the homework for this week. They were actually given a list of the movies that we were going to be watching so they can kind of play mm-hmm. along. So some of the fun perks on Patreon. So until next time, boom! I'd like to bear my testimony. No, stop. (laughs) (laughs) My line, jerk. Bless your beautiful films, wherever ye may be. You don't know me yet, but I'm willing to bet you're the Chris for me. Oh my gosh, you have a type. I really do (laughs) have a type. I did not Happily married couples. They're bros. Yeah. And I love it. I am here for it. Everybody. No. Joel, positivity. No. Please? No, 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 no. <laughs> Dare to be the villain? No. Joel Tomlinson is back. No. No. Just say yes. No. Just say no. No. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the guy that constantly walks around in a suit is elitist? So, Ken, you can thank Ocean's 11 and 12 and 13 for Christopher Nolan. Anything Christopher Nolan has a fingerprint on, Kent's like, I like that. What's that? I like it. He goes out and touches like a band-aid on the ground. Kent's like, that's a work of art. You like the steps in Mario 64. It's <laughs> like, that's what he said. Kind of like Amelie, but less French. This is why Superman works alone. You were going to say where the sun don't shine, weren't you? <laughs> I was a little bit. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Hoyt Ben Hoytema. Hoyt Ben Hoyt Hoytema. <laughs> I just have no idea what's going on right now. Pasa, pasa, gay, gay, pasa, pasa, gay, gay. Pasa, I was pasa. born somewhere in two hours and 44 minutes. Ow, my mouth's sore. I can't function. <laughs> Bane started a quarantine and wore a mask before it was cool. How do you escape? He's Batman. Begins. Begins. Batman. Batman begins. Batman begins. Begun. It's like Dory, but not funny. And many, many, many. Sorry, Zach, I spit on you. <laughs> You too ins- I know. Nolan. You're too excited. I love you. <laughs> Roger Ebert calls it satanic, okay? I, I'm down with it. Can we stop for a second? <laughs> and let me just embrace this real you quick. Guys are- he cried like Anne Hathaway. What do you mean it was just good? He, they stabbed me. Chris Nolan is a Gilmore Girls fan. <laughs> just do super cut. <laughs> Michael Caine at the Michael end. Michael Caine. 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 Oh, there's Michael Caine watch. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine. <laughs> Oh, Michael, 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 Michael,